So hey everybody, welcome to episode 258 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. All righty then. So I guess we'll just start off with a bit of fact check. Um, I public republished the uh, the, the uh, live from the WWDC podcast studio episode, and I just want to make a correction that I mentioned home view controller when I was talking about Swift UI and, and, and what holds the content view, but it's actually the UI hosting view control or the UI hosting controller uh, that that holds a uh, instance of the uh, of the the uh, container views. Or is that what they call them? You know, content views. And I uh, almost had to do another fact check. And uh, you pa- basically you pass in a, a root view, and that's how it knows which view to present first. So but even if you're going to present your uh, your um, your code in a, in a playground, or if you're going to put it into a, an existing um, UI kit app, uh, that's how you would how you would uh, host your views in this home or hosting view controller. Now, the context of that was we were wondering if there would be in the in the final version of Swift UI if there were going to be some kind of replacement for a UI view controller, um, mm-hmm. you know, under a different name. So a UI hosting controller is actually the UI view controller. So yeah, it's a subclass of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you played, has anyone played around with SwiftUI enough to know uh, if you don't use UIKit at all, what, uh, how, what is the root? I think it's the same sort of thing, but, but it's, it's, um, you, you, in the, uh, I think it's in the app delegate, you have to set the, what your primary thing is going to be, what, what the root view controllers, what the root view is going to be. So is there still a UI window and the UI window has a root view controller? And I feel like this answer would end up having two flavors, if I understand. So it's like, uh, mechanically, what do you have to do to show this as like the root of your, your app? Right. Um, yeah. And I know that there have been people online who have poked through to see what is happening under the covers. And it's uh, a mishmash of, I think, normal UI kit stuff plus layer-based stuff that's been happening from Swift yeah. UI and yeah. uh, so not not definitely not part of the the specification for it is like you declare what you want and then they Apple figures out the best way to, right. to meet so that result. So syntactic sugar to hide the fact that there actually is a UI view controller at the root underneath there somewhere probably. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people will stick around for the picks because I do have uh, something to follow up on this part and we get to that point. I'm just trying to find an example project here. You know, you can't look at your projects and see if it's a Swift UI project without knowing the name of it. Uh, oh yeah, there's a, there's a thing called a scene delegate uh, file right. and in there you set um, yeah, there's a thing called a window scene. So the function is uh, UI scene, UI scene session, UI scene connection, connection options. And inside there is a window scene, mm-hmm. which is a UI window scene. And then in that one, you set the you set an instance of the hosting uh, UI hosting controller and you pass in that root view, like I said. Yeah, so it's the same thing in, in, a, in, a, in a standalone Swift project. And then you have the self window or the window thing you were talking about. Remember that old make key invisible function? Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. Yep. So I guess it's the same sort of idea, right? Did we, we never had UI, UI window scene delegate. That's new in Swift UI, right? Right, right. Yeah, and there's a UI responder as well. Wait, is that specific to Swift UI or is that the new iOS 13 thing that like iPad says, oh, your app delegate and, and scene well, window stuff is split out? Or maybe I'm confusing yeah. two different things. I, well, hang on, I there's an app delegate I think too. it's used for both. So it probably Actually, is, is a, new, a general thing that is multi-purpose, yeah. I think. Yeah, so there is a there is an app delegate too, you're right, um, as a subclass of UI responder. And in here, you still have the did finish with options. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just a plain it's like um to me it looks like the the kind of um app delegate you have when you just have a storyboard as your initial view you don't have to have you don't des- you don't designate a window or a root view control or a root view controller kind of thing you know right right some of that boilerplate is taken off your hands yeah yeah so yeah so you have you have basically every con- your first content view which is your all of your views are content views but you have you know in a standard project you have um, you know app delegate scene delegate and then you have the content view or views or whatever it is you're going to build anyway all right Right, moving on. Um, Mark, you have something here about uh, storyboards in the follow-up? This I follow-up. do. Uh, so we've mentioned a couple of times that that uh, Apple, even though they've introduced Swift UI, they haven't completely given up on UI Kit and storyboards, uh, and in fact gave them some nice love uh, in the new upcoming iOS 13, and that is this uh, new way of doing segues and, and dependency injection, essentially, in segues. Uh, and that was, if you remember, we've mentioned it a couple of times, it was the IBC. 
segue action. Uh, it's not a decorator. What do they call it? An attribute. Uh, so it's actually pretty easy to use, and we've talked about it a couple times, and it's you know doc- documented reasonably well in the in the Apple Docs. But if you want to read a little bit more about it, I found a nice article that just came out that kind of has a nice little quick intro uh, over how it works and some nice pictures. Uh, and it is uh, on the uh, Use Your Loaf website. So link will be in the show in the show notes. It's called Better Storyboards with Xcode 11. Five minute read. You know, be a real simple thing to read, but just gives you an overview and introduction of how these new things work. Coolio. All right. Take a look at that. And Jaime, you have something here? Yeah, this is follow up to a couple episodes ago where I brought up the uh, the Go programming language community had this very contentious proposal before adding a try error check function, and I'd sort of compared that to you know I think we were talking about Swift and getting more complicated vis a vis Objective C, and I'd brought up like hey you know like other languages have their own sort of things that they're going through too as an analogy that Go is a very purposely simple language which means it has a lot of boilerplate. There was a proposal to add a try keyword that tried to reduce some of that boilerplate community was very split on it ultimately this is why it's follow-up this pull request proposal was closed and said nope not gonna do it <laughs> but even then two days ago somebody's like hey here's a different proposal for a, a, a more um, idiomatic go way of handling this but without having the the problems that the community perceived on understanding what was going on with try as well as uh, trying to reduce boilerplate stuff so it's more follow-up in case people were like hey i wonder whatever happened to that random comment that Jaime made. Uh, there you go. You, you now have closure in your life. Uh, but also, I think it, it's also a nice little bookend on the idea of like, look, these programming languages, they, There's it's it's pure engineering trade-off that you're making here, right? And if you make things simpler, you have more boilerplate. If you make it fancier, it becomes more difficult to learn and use. And so I just think that these things go in and out of style. And we, we saw Swift start very, very simple. It has gotten more complicated, especially with 5.1. Um, so there you go. All right, cool. So your next piece, I think, belongs probably more on Spotcast, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. What do you What do you got there? Well, it, it, it was arguable, I and mean, we might even talk about you know. So nice, we talked about it twice. It seemed like it was very timely because we have the um, 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, and Apple has released the first uh, sneak peek at the uh, Snoopy. The, what was the name of the show? Snoopy in Space show that they're going to have for Apple Plus. I uh, sorry, Apple TV Plus. And I can't believe that nobody here it references the the Beagle has landed. That was part of the the whole Peanuts strips around this time. Where the Beagles. Landed. The be- right. Yeah, yeah, like the eagle has landed, right? Like, like that sort yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, but yeah. The, the beagle has landed was was a, a huge thing in the old peanut strips that I've read. Mm, interesting, yeah. And and they've they've uh, the second show that they're coming out was called For All Mankind, which is not to be confused with the great movie by. Uh, um, Al Reinhardt, um, which yeah, is on sale for four ninety nine on four ninety nine Canadian on on iTunes right now. Run out and buy that one, folks. But yeah, that's a great uh, great movie. But yeah, so I, I I guess I guess nobody could own the for all mankind phrase. I guess right. So, but anyway, Apple's bringing out another show called that to confuse things even further. Like having it's like as if they came up with a show called Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like I guess maybe not quite the same scale. But there you go. But you know we can always use a good Snoopy cartoon. They used to be far and f- few and far between when I was a kid, other than, you know, the Great Pumpkin and, and Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Yeah, they, there's there's a lot more out there than you would think. Like the ones you mentioned there, the, the Halloween one, um, the Christmas one, there is sort of secondarily a... It has a Plymouth Rock one with the, the Pilgrims. Yep, and, yep, the Thanksgiving one. There is like an Independence Day one, I want to say, that I'd have to go look up the name of that. But there there are more of them than I thought, and they, they tend to show really? up on uh, all these different sort of channels now as, as like filler space around the holidays oh all right so um oh um so we have i have one thing under the wtf or what i'm calling this week five minutes on facebook uh and this is on the, this is in apple news and um from i think the verge who reported on it that um facebook had a a, a bit of a problem with their facebook messenger for kids which i guess is a a, a i mean first of all why would people let their kids on facebook but uh this is a messenger platform for uh kids to um communicate 
communicate with people and the parents get to set the rules as to who the kid can chat with. Um, and But they added a group feature in December 2017 and uh, they recently discovered that uh, you can't, even once they're in the room, they can communicate with people who they're not, have not been authorized by their parents to communicate with. So it's kind of a big privacy uh, issue. Um, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act people are up in arms about it as well. Um, so uh, just another wonderful thing from Facebook. So I, I'm reading into the statement that Facebook made. It says, hi, parent. We found a technical error that allowed, and I assume this is like a mail merge sort of thing that they put in real names. Yeah, sure. allowed child, like your child's friend, and then the name of the friend, to create a group chat with child, your child, and one or more of your their friend's parent-approved friends. So it's not as like mind-blowingly dumb as an error, it was like I thought, I was like, oh God, like there were just random creepos on the street able to do this. It's sort of that, uh, like, okay, you have approved your child to talk to a friend, but not necessarily to the friend's friends, which gets tricky. Kind of a, it's definitely a case that they should have had, you know, really good testing around and, and making sure that that would happen. They should have had some kids do the testing for them. So they should have done. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's actually kind of a thing, uh, kind of backtracking slightly to the, um, you know, moon landing missions. There was this story I saw going around online. I, I, I don't know if it's true, but it certainly seems like it could be true. And it certainly is a good soundbite that there was somebody who was an engineer on, uh, you know, one of like the startup sequence sort of things. And they brought their child to work day or something. And the child used the little, you know, sequence they showed them like, oh, this is what, you know, mom and dad work on. And they messed with it. And they triggered some bug where like, oh, you can't do this particular sequence after you've done the prior sequence, right? Right. That was Margaret Hamilton's kid, I think, because Margaret, she, she had developed the, um, the one of the sequences and, and her kid accidentally pushed this, this set of controls and she reported it. And uh, they they told her, well, astronauts don't make mistakes. You know, they practice everything over and over and over again and this will never happen. And guess what? When they were like halfway between Earth and the moon, mm-hmm. some astronaut pushed that sequence of buttons and did the same thing. Yeah, oops. <laughs> the, the highly trained person who's admittedly probably um you know it's a pretty stressful situation you know it's, it's not like you're you're always going to be at the top of your game and you're you're blazing new trails so they really should have taken that advice of like oh we, sh- we should make this change because if a user can do it they will eventually do it and that's that's sort of what happened here with the facebook messenger kids thing right yeah it's funny i was listening to an interview with uh, rusty swigert who was the astronaut who went up on apollo 9 and he was the one that tested the the suit that the astronauts used on the moon like he actually had the back portable backpack and all that kind of stuff but he was saying that when he launched it was really weird because in all the tra- and it's like you know what by the time they launch it's a little surreal because they've already done practice launches like hundreds and hundreds of times he said the only difference was in every single one of those other times when they're practicing the technicians were trying to kill them right to see how they handle different situations and he said it was really weird when they actually did blast off that nothing went wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> but actually, this reminds me too. I saw a tweet the other day of uh, of a kid who had somebody's posted a video their child had made talking about this the parental controls that we talked about. And this this a bit of follow up on Alexis's comment about kids being like velociraptors, almost you know testing the boundaries. Um, there's a this kid had showed his dad that even though his he had the parental controls where he can he you know he had a certain allotment of time that he could use Safari for instance, and like say 8 p.m. or whatever he can't use Safari after that point. Well, he found that he could quickly go to a launch, to a website, and the, the site would display for a split second, and then the parental guardian guardian screen would come up and saying your you know your time's up, right? But in that split second between when the, the website loaded and the the guard blocked up, he could take a screenshot, and then he could read the page on his on in photos. Hmm. So this is the kind of creative thinking that kids use when yeah, they're yeah. using iPads and stuff, right? So that's hilarious that he was like, "Hey, that's." Just long enough for me to trigger this other thing. Yes, and then of course he tells his dad about it. These kids are going to take over the world one of these days. Yeah, you'd think. Eh? Yeah. Of course, you know the innocence of the kid. He's, he's not crafty enough to, to not tell his dad about this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guess what I did? I broke it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So moving on. That was our five minutes on Facebook. Um, another a quick follow up here. Uh, we had a, a, a stealth pick sort of thing happen uh, where this is follow up on the EKG uh, application 
notification on the watch series four watch has appeared in Canada. Uh, I think it's upgrade watch OS 5.3, which came out a couple of days ago, has the capability to do the EKG, um, uh, program in Canada and I assume other countries as well. However, however, it doesn't work with iOS 13 on the phone. So even though I've got my fo- my watch updated, I still can't do an EKG because, of course, you know, I foolishly stuck iOS 13 on my primary device, uh-huh. which I will hopefully never do again. So, yeah, so I have to wait until either they add the proper health kit to, like, they, apparently they, they don't use the same health kit app on in the beta, so I have to wait for that to appear or or I have to wait till you know another month and a half until iOS 13 ships for reals. So that's my follow up on the EKG. And, and neither one of you has an iPhone Series 4 watch, right? I do actually. Have you ever tried the EKG function, Mark? I have. Mm-hmm. And is it all that? It's cool. If <laughs> 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 right, so I die between now and and uh, and uh, you will know why. It's because I installed beta on my phone. Yeah. All righty. So moving on. Um, I saw another thing on Twitter too. Last. This is of course we have a we compiled a bunch of things because we didn't record last week, but this is from. Uh, previous week as well, um, that uh, somebody had posted they had gone in to create a new certificate under the Apple developer account, you know, under the page certificates, identifiers, and profiles, and they found that there are a slew of new create uh, create ticket options, you know, before we just had app development, apps, app distribution, iOS development, so on and so forth. But now there are some seemingly uh, generic style um, uh, certificates you can create, and these are for, they seem to be for, you know, multi-platform form certificates. So in other words, simpler, like a, an example would be you would have one certificate that would you would use for iOS, presumably, I guess, a catalyst um, per apps, perhaps, where you could use it on more than one platform per se, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the tweet here, Apple development at the very top mm-hmm. for iOS, macOS, tvOS, and watchOS apps, instead of having all those different certificates that you'd have to, to deal with. Oh, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It it seems to me like it would be kind of nice to just have a generic certificate and and ideally be able to slice them off separately if you want or collapse them back into each other if you want. Um, I don't know enough about how this exactly works to know if what I just said is even technically feasible, but sure, it would be nice if it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's cool. Another quick story here is um, uh, I was a little concerned about it was when I first saw this story because, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who bootstraps the uh, the podcast. We don't, you know, really get that many advertisers. We're basically, you know, funding this ourselves and with our generous uh, patrons, patrons who sponsor us, help offset some of the costs. Um, but Apple is apparently going to be bankrolling uh, original podcasts to fend- it says here in, in the in the subject to fend off rivals. So I was a little concerned that Apple's going to get into the game of podcasting, which you know is is inevitable in my opinion. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, that uh, is kind of concerning. And um, but however, it's more uh, for them to be able to fight off people like Spotify or companies like Spotify who have been also going around spending quite a bit of money on um, podcasts you know, as they've moved, as Spotify is now offering podcasts on their stream, right? Um, yeah, so that's what uh, I think in the same sense that Apple's getting into TV to, to sort of have some com- competitive edge, they're also doing the same thing with podcasts. Right? Uh, do we know how Apple makes money off of podcasts? Uh, no, not yet. I mean, that's the thing is there, there doesn't seem that there's no cost, there's no charge from Apple to create a podcast. Like you just, right. you know, you they, they host it, they they manage it, um, they, they publish it to all the podcasters, podcatchers around the world. Uh, um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any thing. I think it's a, it, you know, it originally started as a side effect of the po- the iPod, right? Um, sure. I think third, second or third generation iPod, people started pre- finding that they could produce their own sort of like, you know, public access radio kind of concept, right? Um, and that's how podcasts started, but uh, Apple's never really sort of said, oh, you need to give us, you know, $100 a year or whatever, right? Right. And yeah. they, don't, I mean, they don't charge the listener either. It's not like the No, it's true. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, and the what, thing about it is, is like, up to? <laughs> well, so and it's and it's interesting though too if you think about it because a lot of a lot of big names are getting into podcasting. I mean, look, everybody. I mean, I'm listening to Bill Nye now on on a podcast. I've got uh, Brian Cox, who's sort of the Bill Nye of uh, at UK. Um, you know, a lot of big celebrities. Most of the networks up here are getting into podcasting in one way or shape or form or another. 
Um, so yeah, there's got to be some some. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast, um, and yeah, they have you know uh, advertisers that you know run you know thirty second spots on their shows. So then, sure, they're getting revenue from that. I mean, the podcast producers, right? The people who are making them. Sure. But yeah, but not Apple. Apple's not, not getting a penny out of that, right? So maybe they'll get it through this through this new mechanism if they start producing their own content, presumably. By the way, Apple were were able available to have conversations with you, um, you know, but. Uh, uh, you know, if uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what their motivation is, other than, other than to, f- to keep the wolf from the door, right? Yeah, this has been sort of a kind of an interesting Rorschach test for everybody out in the industry. The, the disclaimer: we are podcasters here, so we certainly have our own take on it. I'm sure. So you could interpret this as Apple is going to ensure that a certain set of podcasts that they're paying to be produced will remain open, as opposed to oh, we get picked up and behind the the wall for Spotify, or oh, we get picked up and behind the wall for what's that other one that new one, Luminance or Lum- Lumify? I can't remember what it's called. Some some other one that's doing the same kind of thing, and and pick pick your your route, right? Uh, podcasts have generally been an open medium, as you guys alluded to there. It is very nice and very helpful to be in the iTunes directory that Apple hosts, but it's not strictly required, right? It's just all RSS feed based. So yes, it's uh, unfortunate if you don't you know, get linked in there because other places like Google, for example, it fills up its own, it has its own podcast directory, but notably does index off of Apple's. So you're, mm. you're better off being found that way. But if everyone of those decide like nope you're not allowed to be a part of our index okay well i can still use twitter and say hey go check out this feed this is our feed for our show and, and you'd still have a route there so that's the one sort of idea right that like you would keep these things open the next one i think that people think about is that apple is going to bankroll these podcasts and make it so that these shows are exclusive through presumably something like the podcast app right that mm-hmm. uh, you can only maybe listen to it for free but you can only listen through the apple podcast app and maybe apple makes money in some alternative way through like analytics or something right or um selling advertisements or something. Another one that people are thinking about is, oh, maybe Apple pays for these shows to be produced and then has a podcast plus sort of thing mm-hmm. that you pay a subscription fee for, very similar to TV plus or um, uh, news plus and in, in some of the other, you know, Apple music and other things, or maybe is included as part of one of those others. And then the other version that people have considered on this is, oh my gosh, what if Apple is just finally deciding to take control of what's going on here? Because they do have yeah. sort of the, the master index that everybody cares about and closes things off so that podcasts have to come through through them in some way, shape, or form. I'm less sure how that would work because it's kind of like trying to take control of all email. It'd be very challenging to do so. Um, but I don't know. It, it, what do you guys all think here on that spectrum of options that I've described there? What do you think is most likely, independent of like what would be you know the best for us if Apple were to come by and say, hey, here's a million dollars. So sure would love you to make a new show for us. Sorry. Okay. I think they Exclusive content one makes the most sense. Uh, remember, Apple still is first and foremost a hardware company, and they want to have reasons for people to buy their particular hardware instead of somebody else's hardware. So, so if you have exclusive content that can only be viewed or, or in this case, listened to on an Apple device, then if it's that great content, uh, people will buy the hardware just for that. And so this kind of, this locks people even more into the platform. Yeah, I don't know. My concern is like so. Well, my first question is what given that you know all podcasts are free today like what would you personally pay for to listen to that that you don't get for free already right like so like like the old joke like nobody's going to buy the cow if you give the milk away for free right there's different options here. I mean, um, one option is to have, uh, and I think Spotify did this, and I apologize if they didn't, but let's use it as an example because it works. So Spotify bought the Gimlet Media folks, right? Right, yeah. They're like, uh, I'm forgetting all their shows. Like, maybe they have, like, Nerdist or something. And they put those shows onto Spotify. Let's pretend they say, hey, guess what? Like, no more RSS feed. Now you have to get it through Spotify. Um, even if it's our free plan, at least you have to come through our, our program. So it wouldn't work through Castro or Pocket Cast or Overcast or that sort of thing. That's one option, right? Take an existing show that people know and love and say, fans, you got to go take a look at this. Um, 
Yeah, and, and you get it for free if you have, well, quote, free if you subscribe to Apple Music. If you, as opposed to if you subscribe to Spotify only, then you can't get it. So it locks you into Apple Music. Right. And another option is uh, leave that stuff out there, but use the same talent that people know and love and say, oh, do you like this podcaster and that podcaster? Guess what? They're teaming up on this brand new show that is now only ever available on our platform, right? So so the lost leader there was all of the, the stuff that people did. So like if they, if Apple said, all right, we want you to make, you know, we love MTJC. We want to leave it out there as like the free option, but we want you to make two new shows, you know, nothing but after show and just code, right? Like, and those could be exclusive. <laughs> just <laughs> take the one show, show and split it off into two, two shows, completely. One called more than, and the other one just called just, just code. code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then those would be, you know, behind the wall or another one that I've seen uh, that I don't know if it applies in this sort of circumstance is the, um, some shows will do things where you get the show early on some other platform. Right. Yeah. If you subscribe yeah, yeah. to Stitcher, like, um, uh, LeVar Burton reads, you get it like a week to two weeks early on Stitcher. Otherwise you wait for the free version through the RSS feed, or you might do what acquire.fm does where the main show is free. But then if you join their, what they call limited partner program, then you get other content where they do interviews with uh, venture capitalists and, and startup CEOs and stuff. And you get that right. exclusively through that other channel. Yeah. I mean, it, it could easily just be the, the Netflix model too. I remember people used to say, well, you know, TV is free. Why would you ever pay for TV? Mm-hmm. And now people pay Netflix just to get that TV whenever they want it or to get the original content that Netflix provides. Yeah, but soon you're going to have so many services that you're going to end up paying more than you did for cable. Like people want the a la carte, but, but you're going to end up paying more for all the individual services, Disney and CBS and Netflix and you know, Hulu. Um, Hulu, yeah. yeah the, the market will sort that out. It'll, you know, it'll eventually come down. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll come back to being like a cable service. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it evolves over time. I mean, like, you know, I remember when we only had, you know, we had 13 channels, but we only got like four or five actual channels that were worth watching. Mm-hmm. The rest were all just static, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in the good old analog days. <laughs> all right. So next uh, story I have here is um, about Apple uh, apparently looking to buy Intel's 5G business, uh, modem business, right? For obviously to stay competitive. Um, I thought the Apple quality Qualcomm thing had settled the argument that they were having about uh, rights and things. Did we talk about that a couple of weeks ago? I mean, it it did in terms of the. They didn't exactly kiss and make up, but they did come to an agreement. Um, this seems like it's a way for Apple to sort of hedge its bets in the future and possibly even control its own mm-hmm. destiny by not needing Qualcomm's uh, yeah. chips. And Intel, Intel is looking to get out of the business, and Apple is expanding their, their uh, chip business. So it, it sort of makes sense. I don't know that I love it, given the history of the Intel modems, uh, the LTE modems. Yeah. If you remember the yeah. iPhone X, when it first came out, there were two different versions versions of the phone, uh, there was one with an Intel modem and one with a Qualcomm modem, and you kind of got lucky or didn't get lucky. If you if you got the Intel modem, which unfortunately I did, then your LTE cellular qual- quality has been terrible ever since on that phone. It was just always mm, bad. Really? Qualcomm is way better. Yeah, yeah. this is a well-known thing. You can look it up. Uh, so given that history, I'm, I'm not so excited about all of the modems in iPhones being made by Intel, if that's what's going to happen. Or it wouldn't be Intel. It would be, it would be the same team, but with for Apple. But we'll see. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it feels really dumb for me to say this because it's a lot of money, you know, objectively. But a billion dollars is not that much money for this kind of tech. It sort of makes me wonder what, how much of a fire sale it was. Are there like kind of not so great patents here? Like uh, Google paid like thirteen million dollars or, or thirteen billion, I should say, or something like of that nature for Motorola, and it was predominantly the patents that they wanted, yeah, not the right. handset um, making stuff. And look how well that worked out for them, right? They ended up selling. Um, yeah. yeah. Of course, they claim that they got what they wanted and just sold off the rest. So they, they claim oh, yeah. actually what they, mm. what they planned all along, but who knows. Yeah. But on the brighter side, I mean, maybe maybe under Apple's control, maybe the same team members would be like, oh, you mean you mean we're flush with cash for us to do? And you're incredibly focused on doing this? And it's not kind of a, a side business for, like, it may have been at Intel. Baseless speculation, but let's pretend. I could see it working out better, even with the same people and the, and the same tech. Just, you know, yeah, apply 
Apple's fat stacks of cash to like, can we solve this problem by buying you robots that, you know, solve this part of the problem? Sure, let's do it. Yeah. Well, it says here in the article that Apple, uh, Intel is already Apple's primary uh, provider for gear um, since the middle of 2018 because of the, the arguments they were having with Qualcomm. Mm. They were already there in a sense. So we'll have to see how that one shakes up. All right, Jaime, you got something next? Yeah, this is some uh, some point releases for uh, iOS, watchOS, and macOS. So iOS 12.14 has, sorry, 12.4, excuse me, 12.4 has the iPhone migration that apparently allows you to wireless transfer data from an old phone to a new phone. I'm a little unclear why that's new. I thought we had that already. Um, people are saying online that it might be some improved version. Not tried this out myself to see what... Well, you can transfer improved. settings, but not not the actual data. So maybe that's the case then. Maybe they do have like a in, moving over the encrypted data part of things. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hit us up on, on, the, on the Twitters with hashtag AskMTJC if you yourself have tried this. Some newer yeah, stuff like... In the current hmm? version, you have to do a backup to iCloud and then restore from... The right. Backup. Yeah. Yeah. But it, okay. but it remembers the, where the backup was and it has the same identity as the old phone. Okay. So this might be an, an improvement that starts to go directly without having to round trip it through iCloud? Sounds yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Or, yeah. Or iTunes. Like you can do it on your local machine as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which um, I've been having trouble with lately, by the way. Really? Yeah, I switched over to iCloud and and, sent, and the last couple of times I tried to do backups and restores to my devices uh, through iTunes. I've been having trouble with it. The, the backups just get, keep getting bigger and bigger, right, over time. Yep. Mm. Uh, some other, uh, you know, minor stuff for Apple News um, included here, although honestly it seems like it's really more of watchOS 5.3. Tim mentioned the ECG, EKG app available in Canada and Singapore, for those of us who have fans in Singapore. Uh, and apparently the the fix for the short-lived walkie-talkie app security problem has happened so fast that we didn't actually even get a chance to, to talk about it. There's right. some sort of, you know, exploitable vulnerability. Um, Apple had disabled feature, very I think very similar to the FaceTime bug to just kill, you know, remotely the feature so you couldn't use it at all. And then they have now patched that security vulnerability and everything is honey and roses at this point, presumably. Mm. I got to admit, I didn't actually look at the macOS 10.14.6 changes anything of note here i'm just looking at it here uh i mean it looks like pretty pretty normal stuff well, it makes apple news plus better or it makes apple news plus better and it also improves apple news plus in three different ways right yeah oh new version of bootcamp who uses that anymore improves compatibility of xn clients when accessing volumes that use 1k or larger lun sector sizes oh, that's good to know yeah been waiting for that one take that one off the list um <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have not loaded any of these yet because this came out uh, a couple days ago as of this recording and when i looked at the comments i didn't see anything bad here so that's a good sign i like to use the ars technica and verge comments readers as sort of the guinea pigs before i download any new version mm. um, i did see other speculation that people believe that this might be the release that will ultimately enable the apple card credit card system oh really you guys are still waiting for that eh? still waiting for that yeah i mean i think they said summer and uh Summer is... We get two more to what, like ago. September twentieth, something like that. So we still have time. Yeah. Thinking the Apple Card is going to be the only way that you can buy your uh, air power. <laughs> that, would be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be an ultimate an ultimate slam dunk there. <laughs> or maybe you get a free one with your uh, purchase of the of the card. Yeah, to give them away, like the banks do when they give you an iPad when you open an account. Yeah. Right, right. You like a toaster back then? Yeah, yeah, toaster. Yeah, exactly. You can have a backpack or an air power. You choose. All right. You have one more story here, Hami. More updates. So not just iOS 12. Uh, Apple has released updates for old iPhones and iPads to fix the um, the particular GPS bug. Uh, people are saying, you know, similar to, to Y2K and the Millennium bug, this is kind of similar in that there is a uh, recording of the passage of number of weeks in a 10-bit figure, which meant that just under 20 years, this would roll over and cause some, some issues. As noted here in this article in The Verge, which uh, we'll have in the show notes for those of you driving at home, uh, GPS makers like TomTom Tom and Garmin have been issuing patches for this for a while. Apple said that, oh, uh, they actually had a little bit longer because of some reason of how they handled things in iOS. But if you're still rocking a device such as an iPhone 5 or a fourth gen iPad, you'll get iOS 10.3.4. That's not a mistake. That's iOS 10.3.4 and iOS 9.3.6 for the iPhone 4S mm-hmm. and uh and, and you'll get, or I should say, you will continue to have proper GPS handling. Presumably newer 
versions of iOS and newer devices have accommodated for this change already, but it's still pretty cool that Apple said, you know what, there's still people out there with this. I don't want them to get lost in the woods or something, so let them have good GPS. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it just does not affect Wi-Fi on the iPads or the iPod Touch. So. Did so those have any cellular... sort of GPS capability? No, no they only had Wi-Fi, right? They, only, they didn't have a GPS chip. So some of the some of the cellular, the ones that have cellular capabilities have GPS in them, the iPads and stuff. So yeah. Hmm. But it doesn't help my iPhone 3GS that I keep upstairs, right? It does not, because I think I said iPhone 4S. Yeah, with... well, it's rocking systems, or iOS 6 as well, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Even so... that late, it's not even on one of the iPhone OS versions? No, it's uh, it's past that, actually. Yeah. Oh, I think it might have been iPhone OS when it first came. Well, this is a second generation iPhone 3, right? So 3G? The, th- the 3G. 3GS, 3GS, right. 3GS definitely was on iPhone OS. Was it when, when it, it first launched, came out? But, but yeah. Tim has updated it. Is that what I heard? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When it first launched. Running, six, running iOS 6 or something. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know if you guys have been following on Twitter, but I, I did resurrect one of my SE30s. I had two SE30s here. One of them, the logic board was all corroded, so I couldn't re- rescue it. But uh, the second one, um, it had some weird video, like... Uh, Video issues like you had like a zebra, like a zebra stripes they call on the screen, and it turns out it's from it most likely from leaky capacitors, and um, they the I guess the oil or whatever it is or the liquid that's inside them um, affects the surrounding icy uh, icy chips, right? Hmm. And so the solution was, believe it or not, was to fill the sink with with warm water and some dish soap and go in there with a toothbrush and just gently scrub the, the logic board. So I figured, what do I got to lose? Tried it out, and sure enough, it worked. And I uh, was able to resurrect one of my SE30s and then decided, well, I'm not going to go. Like, it, it can run, uh, I you know, I think it can run 7.5 or 7.6 system. But I decided to go back to the old school and, and just install um, the OS that came with it. So, which is like System 608, I think, or 805, 605. But yeah, so I've got really, really old OS running on it. It's so, fun. Am I remembering correctly that iOS made its first appearance? along with the iPad. The name iOS? The name iOS. I believe so, yeah. Because I believe it, it was around the time. to have an iPhone OS running on an iPad. Yeah, actually, you know, I'm just remember too, because we talked about this before, because we were kind of deci- trying to figure out whether, because it, uh, it was version 3.4 or something like that, right? I, I thought it was 4, wasn't it? No, it started out, was, there was a 3 version, because the first version I worked on on iOS was 3.4 or 5, something like that. Here, I'm just going to look at, oh, I'm gonna click on the Apple site. Oh, Apple. Oh, maybe Wikipedia. iPhone. iOS 4 was the one that unified them because I remember there was a version uh, when the iPad first came yes. out there was a version yeah. that was only for the iPad and then a version that was for the iPhone yes and, that sounds about right and so you had to if you wanted to make a universal app you had to go through all these tricks of using yeah. the you know the, the checks to see what uh, what version yeah. you're on so you were right more than you April could. my sister's birthday in 2010 April 3rd 2010 was when the iPad shipped mm-hmm. and it shipped with uh, iPhone OS 3 3.2. Okay. Right. And then when the iPad 2 came out, it shipped with iOS 4.3. So uh, that was like a year or just, yeah, so, a little less than a year later. But, yeah. but iOS, right. And they were releasing iPads in the, in the spring back then. Yeah, April 3rd is right. So shipped, presumably yeah. when the regular iOS 4 release came out in the fall, it worked on. Yeah, it might have been when they changed the name. Yeah. 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 That sounds right. But yeah, you're right. It, it originally shipped with iPhone, iPhone OS. Yeah. We got the and now we've gotten almost full circle because there is iPad OS, right? Yeah. That is has some you know differences you know in capability for iPad. And now that you've said what you said, Mark, it, it seems really arguable that they should rename iOS to iPhone to OS. iPhone OS. Save that is back to iPhone. You have iPhone OS, uh, iPad OS, TV yeah. OS, Watch OS, and then of course Mac OS. Yeah, yeah. And the new uh, Siri OS that's that someone's predicting. Did you? about this yeah we didn't talk about that on here do you do you, i only saw the headline do you know more of what the analyst is predicting what what is no, a serial i, I actually don't mean? know anything about it except the headline myself uh maybe there wasn't any actual article about it but but my assumption was it was something to do with the with the home pod i mean possibly but you know siri belongs you know across all of their well, platforms that they have yeah but everything else already has an os mm, true home pod os yeah so by the way the uh, yeah by the way the uh the um Real-time follow-up is that it was June June 7th, 2010, 
that the WWDC was where Apple uh, rebranded iPhone OS, iPhone iPhone OS three to become I, iOS four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So, yep, that introduced folders on the home screen, uh, significant number of number wraps you could have, custom wallpaper, blocks and Objective C, and blocks. Yes, yeah, blocks. that was yep. the big thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, some real time follow up for folks there. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. We should do this for next week to go back at every WWDC in, and figure out what the what the main theme was mm-hmm. of each WWDC. Mm-hmm. Right. That'd be kind of mm. interesting. Let's see how they've evolved over time. Yeah. Every single WWDC? Well, no. I mean, since... <laughs> Since the release of the iPhone, since it mattered, since twenty two thousand seven, yeah, <laughs> that's a, I, I felt bad thinking it, but I feel yeah. like I'm exonerated here that you were the one who I said it. I just remember Steve Steve Jobs in black sweaters. Remember those or black uh, cardigans? All right. A, a, as an aside, I have to look at the date here. Did, did Steve Jobs steal that style from Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne in the original Batman nineteen eighty nine? Maybe I, I I saw a Batman Returns and making fun of the movie trailer that I said, oh my gosh, that's exactly Steve Jobs' style. Was, was that just in, in like uh, 92-ish? Mm, interesting. Yeah, because I, because I, well, so wait a minute. No, he, when did he come back to Apple again? He like, came, like, he didn't start wearing the black turtlenecks till much later. Like, like I think, um, trying to think when he, when he introduced the, because he had the, the sort of, I want to say white turtleneck with black vests or like sort of a vest thing that he wore when the Gil, when Gil Emilio kind of days, right? I don't think he went to the black turtleneck till, till much later. I know he was, he, he was wearing that when he introduced the, um, the MacBook Air and, uh, probably the iPhone the year before, right? So, hmm, good question. Do we care? Is this like, is this like talking about the weather, what Steve Jobs no. wore? Just, it just came to my mind. I said, "Oh my gosh!" I had this realization the other day, yeah. and I clearly didn't share it with y'all in the in the Slack channel. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> but now I've shared it with you and the listeners. All right. So more more people. I've, I've done a better job of sharing outside of our little clique. Well, on that happy note, and talking about WWDC, why don't we go to our picks, Jaime? Yeah, my first one is in case you missed the announcement from Apple, the WWDC 2019 video transcripts are now available. I right. completely take their word for this. I did spot check a little bit and see and they do for all the ones that I check have the transcript, which critically also has time codes that you could just hover over and click, you know, some particular sentence you want to nice. see what they're nice. showing there takes you right there in the video. Cool. Um, yeah, so we were talking uh, uh, about the the talks at WWC. I think we are. This is a bit of a follow up from a previous show where we were talking about the IB Segway action, and I had remembered that it was a crowd cheering, crowd cheered when something was mentioned about prepare for Segway, a change or going away or something like that. And so I, when I was doing my talk at uh, Taco a couple of weeks ago, Anne Lewin O'Brien, who was also at WWC this year, uh, said that he remembered clearly that it was when we were talking. They were talking about uh, how IB. Segway action is adding the ability to inject uh, code into your uh, daughter view or child view um, in something around prepare for Segway. So it wasn't that prepare for Segway is going away. It was when I remembered the cheer, but I just remembered the cheer and I couldn't remember what talk it was in. Yep. But he he remembered clearly that so it was it was about that particular fact. So you know, if they had had these things when Segways first came out, yeah. the world might have been different. It might have been. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, I've had world hunger as well. So I have a couple of picks too. My original pick was going to be. Um, James Thompson's talk on Easter eggs. It still is a pick. Um, but uh, I since, since then had seen another. These are these are from Hacking a Swift Live 2019, which just uh, happened a couple of three weeks ago uh, in the UK in Bath, England, and uh, hosted by our friend uh, Paul Hudson, uh, Two Straws, or the Hacking a Swift guy. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is is uh, Daniel Steinberg's talk uh, called The Swift Behind Swift UI. And it's a really fascinating talk. It's about, uh, I think it's around 30 minutes long. And it's it's one of, Daniel Steinberg has this really cool way of, of, of disseminating what is happening in Swift. I saw him do one of these on, I believe it was on Swift 3. And it was just as Swift 3 was coming out. Um, and this is at NS North 2016, I guess. Um, 
he did a talk sort of talking about where Swift was going and why Apple would be going the way that, that they're going. Um, so in this one, he talked about a number of different things that, uh, behind Swift. And he, he started out by, by creating a, an error in a Swift UI file by, you know, uh, putting in a print statement and it spit out, it spit out a bunch of other things and a couple of really weird errors, like one about an opaque return type, blah, blah, blah. So he went through and he explains in this video, I'm just going to paraphrase a bit, he, he talks about implicit re- implicit returns uh, which is now a feature in in Swift five um, talked about opaque return types, which we talked about on the show bef- in the previous shows. Talked about function builders, which is you know a new thing in here. Property wrapper property wrappers, which are the you know the at environment variable at binding at um, state uh, things that we've seen in Swift UI. Talks about map and flat map, and it's a cool example. He he, he got this from uh, Erica Sadoon Was he was showing how you could basically you know declare an image and if it was an optional image image, you could use map to unwrap it. So in other words, instead of having to use a flutz or whatever, you just pass it through a map, and if the image exists, then of course the map will execute whatever it's doing, and if it doesn't exist, it just will ignore it. So kind of a handy little way to use map to do that. And again, check out the video for, for more detail on that. And he also talks about uh, Swift UI and Combine in the uh, in, this, in this particular talk. So it's, it's really interesting to sort of see how he interprets what's happening in Swift UI and the Swift that is underlying it. Um, again, he also talks about that that home view uh, UI home view that I was talking about Host, earlier. Hosting, huh? Host no. hosting. Yeah, I see that again. UI hosting controller. Um, yeah, it talks about that as well. In, in the, uh, explains that as well in here in part of his talk. So that's that's a cool talk. I recommend that one highly. But of course, I was also fascinated to see, and I missed uh, NS North. And apparently, James Thompson gave the first version of his illustrated history of Easter eggs talk at. Um, at NS North, but this is a replay or a, a variation of it. Uh, he presented at Swift um, Live, and he talks about a little bit about his history at Apple before he worked for Apple, when he worked at Apple, and and how, when he was a young kid, he first saw. Um, he's talking about the, the, the genesis of Easter eggs and the genesis of credits to software developers in in apps. You know that back in the early days in Atari, um, they felt that they owned the they basically paid you to do the software, and you didn't get to put your name or credit. In in the, in the name of the app, and so the very first sort of Easter egg that that he demonstrates was that um, this one, one programmer had created a page that was particularly difficult to get to in the game. But if you got there, you would see that you know it would say created by so and so and such and such. And um, this is his way of sort of hiding the fact that you know he gave himself credit. And then of course you know in the Mac OS or the, uh, yeah the Mac OS startup screen that I was talking about before was the system startup screen it used to it said Larry, Dave, Steve even somebody else and he wondered who those people were and you know he kind of in, wanted his name to be you know and james in there at some point um so he goes kind of goes through the the history of easter eggs in itself and um doesn't go through every single easter egg that's out there like i mean there's a number that you know i, I, I remember commit contributing some ideas to him um when he was preparing for this talk um that he didn't use in in this particular uh video but yeah it's uh, it's an interesting talk entertaining talk on uh, the origins of Easter of Easter eggs and some of the Easter eggs that are currently in iOS and Newton and so on and so forth. That's kind of a cool, cool little video. Thoughts, concerns? Not concerns, but it's a video I'd like to to watch. There is a there was a Grand Theft Auto game that had a like at the very top of a very difficult to reach bridge. You'd go up there and there's a little sign that said there are no Easter eggs up here, go away. <laughs> Which is very meta because that is in and of itself an Easter it's egg. An Easter, there's yeah, even yeah, something yeah, there. Course. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like the I think one I told one I told him about for sure was the Beyond Dark Castle had the Christmas tree if you played the game on Christmas Day. So yeah, in the main the main hall we went into enter the game. Um, and of course Cork Express had a Cork Express had a robot that would shoot things on your screen. And uh, I'm pretty sure there was a breakout game in Excel. Do you guys remember that? I do not, but it does seem like a very appropriate <laughs> UI to That's, have breakout. Yeah. In. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. and, and it, it, it talks about the the breakout game that. Uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs worked on so and the famous five thousand dollar payout for that one. All right, I'll let you. I won't spoil that one for you. I'll let you watch the video. All right, so I guess 
us it for another week. Uh, so, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? How would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And as it said at the top of the show, my name is Tim Mitra. My Twitter handle is T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And on Twitter is where you'll find me. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Did you hear that Rucker Howard died today? Yeah, just today, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, all, all this stuff is going to be lost in time, like tears and rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Relatively young. 75. Yeah. But he was he was scheduled to come to Toronto in uh, in August for uh, Fan Expo. Yeah. So they, I guess, because I, I just happened to go by and see what their lineup of celebrities were, and they had a, you know, you know in memoriam, he's gonna, I'm not going to make it. Yeah, that's kind of sudden, eh? I mean, like, especially, he's one of the Expendables, too, right? Like, isn't he uh, in the Stallone franchise? You know, the old I never saw, you know what, I, I have only seen the original Expendables. I have not seen two and three. I think he's a number two. I am woefully out of date on the Expendables yeah. cinematic universe. No, he was he was in a lot of a lot of movies like back in the day, even not not just Star or uh, Blade Runner, right? Yeah, interesting stuff. You you guys catch up? You know, kind of speaking of older stars, have you guys catch up at all? And uh, this is veering into podcast territory, but uh, I think we all have enthusiasm for various kinds of these shows, uh, Comic Con stuff, like mm-hmm. um, Top Gun, the sequel, you know, mm-hmm. Terminator, right. Dark Fate, yeah, you know, all sorts of good stuff. The Dark Crystal, if we go that route on, yeah. on Netflix, mm-hmm. I got to go back and finish watching that movie. I started watching it and I got to finish it off before it comes out. Yeah, it's one of Jonathan and other co-hosts on Spotcast's favorite movies, Dark Crystal. It's a good one and, and they are using some CGI, but it's still predominantly puppetry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Enhanced with CGI. And you're looking at uh, Star Trek Picard, of course. Yes. Star Trek yeah, Picard, big the big one that everybody's freaking out about. Yeah, apparently there's going to be a few stars coming, those Star Trek stars coming into that one, right? Yeah. I've yeah. already seen Brent Spiner and uh, what's her name? Um, Jerry Ryan, Jerry Ryan, yeah. yeah, lots of stuff. Um, and going along the theme that we were talking about earlier, of like, it, there's so many dang subscriptions. Is like, I'm sure I'll hear it from you guys about uh, the Orville moving to Hulu. It was a Hulu exclusive. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what was that it on means. CBS or what was it? Where was it before? It was on Fox. Fox. Okay, so it was free. Oh, that's yes. right, because he had that contract thing that was ending, right? Yeah, and they did renew it, but then I guess it turned out that um, he wasn't going to be able to deliver episodes until late. In 2020 and that oh. didn't work out and so they said what do we do and say oh well we've got hulu what if we go the cbs all access star trek discovery route and make it an exclusive for there and now they can yeah. do a larger budget and they're not tied to oh, hulu's owned by fox yeah, those guys hulu is majority owned by disney given oh, right. that disney had some stake and then acquired fox's stake mm-hmm. and i'm terribly confused and jonathan would be better at this for sure but there is the fox broadcasting company that is separate from the Fox production company. And I think Disney owns the production company and not the right, broadcaster. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm like, dang, now I gotta, now I'm probably not gonna be able to watch the Orville season three when it comes <laughs> out. I have to wait till all the episodes come out and then double dip on Handmaid's Tale season three in the Orville. And Jonathan's been talking about Runaways. So I'm going to watch Runaways, basically everything I can for like that one right. month. Where are the boys coming, the boys coming to you? On That's it. Amazon. Yeah. See, and you guys in the Canada, you're so lucky you're going to get Star Trek Picard basically for free on your Amazon Prime accounts. 
basically for free? I mean, it's kind of like Netflix. Like, if it's on Netflix, oh, it's, it's basically be free. Because oh, having, having right. outside of the U.S. In the U.S., right. uh, paying for CBS All Access. Hmm. Yeah. So. Mark, if you haven't gotten into this stuff, you like you might as well just wait till some of these shows come out. <laughs> just, like, b- mad binge all the Star Trek stuff. Mm. Yeah. So what are you suggesting? You, you wait for them all to pile up on Hulu, then you go but get a Hulu subscription, watch them, and then pitch Hulu? Yeah. So <laughs> remember that one time, maybe even multiple times, I've mentioned, like, it would be really nice if somebody made a service yeah. that does what I'm manually doing, which is, okay, Netflix is just always there, right? But let's pretend I'm willing to move Netflix. Just hang on to a list, a playlist of stuff I absolutely have to watch as soon as it comes out, stuff that I'm okay waiting and other bits, and then figure out the math and say, okay, Game of Thrones is coming out. You're going to watch that live. Okay, subscribe here so that you can unsubscribe there and pay the least amount of money. While you're there, you haven't seen season two of Westworld, so watch that. You haven't seen season five of Silicon Valley, so watch that. And then unsubscribe. Go subscribe to CBS All Access. Watch Star Trek Discovery. Watch the first handful of episodes of The Twilight Zone. Stop that. Go over to Hulu. Watch Handmaid's Tale and The Orville. Stop that. Then go back over to CBS All Access because Picard is out. And then watch you know the rest of Twilight Zone. Basically, just like this stuff that you have to manually do if you don't want to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month uh, for just the convenience of not having to start and stop. It'd be nice if there was a system that could manage this for you. I mean, at the very least, alert you so you can go in and manually subscribe and unsubscribe, but even better if it can man- uh, automatically do that for you. Sounds like Uber TV to me. Yeah, it's... U- Uber TV. I feel like... Mover. I don't know how much money Mover. it would cost to, to, to make and service, but I feel like people could definitely pay like $5, $7 a month for a service that does that to optimize your spend because all it would have to do is save you from accidentally overspending on one, you know, Disney plus or Apple TV plus subscription where you, you forgot and you just paid for an extra month for no reason. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, crazy. I don't know. Don't know what we can do. Not much. Any, anything you guys are watching? I've uh, gotten halfway through Stranger Things. Yeah, I was trying to yeah. think. So I watched well, Stranger Things. There was something else I watched recently. Um, but I'm, I'm going to... Um, oh, yeah, there was the, the Black Mirror season came back, right? It was that bit. Really and, short, then, and I'm going to go see uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie on Friday. Oh, to, you know, once oh with Hollywood. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, yeah. And I saw um, Do the Right Thing last week with my sister for the first time, and Spike Lee was there the night before and did a talk, and so a question and answer session. So we got to see that replayed. There's this, this theater called TIFF Lightbox, which is um, it's like a, almost like a museum for movies. So they have like, you know, 35 millimeter theaters and 70 millimeter theaters, and they show, uh, you know, like independent films, but they also show, um, you know, re- re-show things. Like I've seen 2001 Space Odyssey there, and a few other things like that in you know in the original format is that toronto independent film festival t-i-f-f well tiff is the film festival as well but tiff is the this tiff light box is, is a theater that's downtown with i think it's got three or four theaters in it and a museum so uh, you know they have like they, when stanley kubrick exhibit came through it was there for a couple of months and tim burton exhibit was there for a couple of months and you know of course they show movies related to that so yeah mm-hmm. this was this was uh yeah this was the 30th anniversary print of um, do the right thing and uh, yeah it's funny because you know initially he was nominated for an Academy Award with this movie but so was th- but he lost to Driving Miss Daisy and his comment was so who's watching Driving Miss Daisy now right right. <laughs> whereas do the right thing is still pretty applicable even yeah. nowadays maybe even oh, yeah. more so nowadays yeah I mean it still it still holds up it's still still the same struggle you know uh, you know the moral of the story is that a, a white man's property is worth more than a black man's life sort of thing what the gist of the movie was right so this is a pretty pretty uh pretty interesting movie i'd not seen it before but very sort of i guess it was the 90s it came out that very sort of 90s mm-hmm. look look and feel to it so but a lot of a lot of famous actors are are in it you know as sort of their first parts right like uh, uh you know what was his name fring from um, breaking bad the giancarlo giancarlo um uh, forgot his last name now but he plays you know one of the crazy guys in there you know and then there's carl 
um, Radio Raheem or whatever, the guy who gets killed. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for a movie that came out 30 years well, ago. It's as you funny, said. you know, it's funny you say that because I had never seen it, so I had no idea what the story was about. And then um, on uh, on the radio, they were talking about the movie and how the significance of it, and, and they're talking about how, you know, the, the, the music, a piece of music, the, the Fight the Power song was written for the movie. Like, they made the movie, they didn't have the song, and Public uh, Enemy took it away and actually wrote that song to be played in the movie every time you said this one character with his boombox, right? And the other thing they said, they said, so you know, so I knew right away that's who the, who was going to get killed in the movie. I just had to wait for when that happened. And then somebody said, well, why did why does the character Mookie that that Spike Lee plays throw the garbage can through the window? I'm like, okay, now I'm going to wait for a garbage can going through a window, right? And those are the two pinnacle moments in the movie, right? So spoilers. Yeah, I, I think this might be the debut for Rosie Perez as well. Yes, it was her debut. I think yeah. she had, like, Spike Lee had just randomly run into her at a club. It was like, you come be in my movie. Oh, is that what he did? Yeah, because cause they, they, um, they, they did a making of the movie before. They, they showed that before the movie was on, right? So I guess presumably this will all come out on the on the DVD release when they re- re- reissue it or whatever in a few months. But, uh, yeah, they had they sort of had, you know, talking to Rosie, Rosie Perez about it. And she apparently he had her dance for eight hours, which telling her what that was for and it was you know for the opening titles right sort of thing so yeah it's cool and they built uh they built basically built the city blocks that they filmed on and apparently the um he was saying that they had they had renamed that block in brooklyn to be I'm trying to remember what it was the right way or something like that or do the right do the right thing way or something they've renamed the block in brooklyn to that right and of course he was wearing a t-shirt that said uh, boycott um sal's you know sal's pizza Hmm. Yeah. Which are all references to the movie if you haven't seen it. It's been a it's been a long time. I actually listened to a bit of a recap and analysis on um Oh, what is that podcast called? It's about the hundred best movies. They go through the the AFI top one hundred. Oh yeah. What is this? That podcast sounds like called? easy pickings. Unspooled, unspooled. Mm-hmm. And so they're going through the the top one hundred at at, uh, at random and then discussing whether some of these movies still belong to be there. Should they go up or down in the list? Mm-hmm. I think the most recent one they talked about was either Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or possibly Gone with the Wind. But a couple of weeks ago they did uh, do the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yes, and Senor Love, which is played by uh, Sam Jackson, right? Samuel Jackson, man. Yeah. You guys getting all... Well, NBC here is really um, hot and bothered about the Olympics in Tokyo 2020, which are mm-hmm. a year from now. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if they just have slow news days. They have content to fill, but they've been they've been talking a lot about that here. I don't know if they're doing the same thing over in affiliates in the in Canada. And it just seemed weird and random. Like, oh, here's all these different people. It's like, Sean White, is, uh, the, uh, the American snowboarder, is going to do skateboarding. I'm like, that's cool. He's not going to qualify for like 11 months because <laughs> they all qualify pretty close to the Olympics when they do these sports. So right, right. I don't know that I'm going to get super excited about anybody now. Huh. They released the um, the designs for the medals, the gold, silver, and bronze medals, which are apparently made uh, predominantly out of recycled electronics in this case. Hmm. So they pulled up gold, silver, and bronze, I suppose. I don't know if it's actually even bronze. I would think it has to be, at least the outside. It played it at the very least, right? Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I guess we'll call it a day or a night, as it were. Okay, talk to you later. Okay. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye. Bye.